Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. It's episode 15. If you've stuck with us for this long, congratulations to you. We must be doing something right, or there must be something wrong with you, one of the two. I've got Kurt Mortensen here with me. Kurt, what's up? What's the latest? Well, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) The good thing is I didn't travel all week, so I'm getting some stuff done. I'm making it happen. Otherwise, I can't think of anything new and interesting that's been happening. Man, when you're on the road, it's you're busy, 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 but it doesn't seem like you're getting anything done. Yeah, well, and you come back to a huge stack of stuff you have to catch up on, and you finally catch up on it, and wouldn't you know it, it's time to go on the road again, right? That's exactly how it works. And then trying to stay healthy on the road, that's a whole other subject, but it's good to be home and exercising regularly and eating decent food. Yeah, you start feeling good. I think we talked about that on the podcast earlier. You just get hammered on the road with how you eat. But uh, yeah, good to be home, lose a few pounds so that you can put them back on again. That's the key. Well, I said decent food. I said probably, the word should probably be healthier food. Because the... <laughs> The food on the road can be very decent and very good. It's just the healthy piece. That's Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's just so difficult because there's so much good food out there. And you're out and you're like, I don't care. I want to eat something good. <laughs> so especially if you've missed the first two meals of the day and you're just ready to eat something really good. So, Kurt, off topic but not really off topic. I'm reminded of a study that you told me about once where there was a group of college students, chocolate chip cookies, a cold, nasty plate of radishes. Does this ring a bell in a study about self-control? Oh, yeah, self-control, willpower. It was interesting, and you wonder why these people volunteer for the studies, but this was a group of psychology students, and they came to the study on sensory perception. They had fasted, I think, for three or four hours. And what happened is they showed up to the study hungry, and they smelled these freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. And they let them go into this room, and they saw these warm cookies surrounded by, I think it was peanut M&Ms, and there was a plate of radishes. The studies tried to reveal willpower. What we know about willpower is it's almost like a battery. Every time we say no, every time we resist, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. So by the end of the day, your willpower battery is so low, you don't care anymore, nobody loves you, and that's when you fell on your diet and eat the whole thing of ice cream. So these students, half of them could eat whatever they wanted. And again, that's an easy decision. The the cookies is where you want to go. Uh Uh-huh. And the other half could only eat the radishes. And you could watch these students who are looking, they're exercising willpower, they're resisting, they're resisting, and they finally eat the radishes. And they say, okay, we're going to set up for the next study, go to the next room, and there's some puzzles there we want you to solve while you're waiting. Now, that was the study. What the students did not know is that those puzzles were unsolvable. (laughs) Oh, that's horrible. (laughs) And they just want to see how fast they'd give up. Now, based on willpower theory is every time you resist, every time you say no, every time you... Even negative emotions drain that willpower battery. So what they found is that the radish eaters who exercise willpower, and when they needed it on the next exercise to finish these puzzles, gave up almost three times faster than the chocolate chip cookie eaters. So kind of a mean study to do on students, but an interesting yeah. factoid to kind of remember that, hey, this is an important part of human nature and even self-persuasion. So the long and short of it is then they get these students, some of them – get to eat whatever they want. The others have to just eat 
the cold, nasty plate of radishes, and then they're both sent to solve these puzzles that you can't solve. And so the people that had all that restraint of not eating the chocolate chip cookies just threw their hands up so much earlier on the unsolvable puzzles because that battery was was essentially gone. It was gone or at least drained significantly. That's yeah. why when you look at goals, for example, most people fail in the evening versus the morning. Just no dieting. In the morning, you're refreshed, you're recharged, and no to the donuts and no to the bagels. But every time you say no, every time there's a negative emotion, every time something bad happens, drain, 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 drain to the point where you, you get home and nobody cares, nobody loves you, and you eat the whole thing of ice cream because you haven't spent the time to recharge that battery. I, I don't know, man. You've mentioned this ice cream thing. Did you have an ice cream incident this week, Kurt? <laughs> I didn't, but I do love my ice cream. There's there's certain things where you look at it and says, you know, that's worth the calories. And that <laughs> would be a good ribeye, and that would be Ben & Jerry's ice cream, where that is where I will go run two miles or four miles or more so I can burn <laughs> off those calories. Not everything's like that, but ice cream's in that category. But it has to be good quality ice cream. I'm not talking about the cheap stuff. I'm talking yeah. about, I would put in the a cinnamon bun, uh, Ben and Jerry's, or kitchen sink would be up there. Chunky Monkey would be up there. I think I'm craving ice cream right now. That's what we're talking about. And Can you hear like the passion in his voice, folks, about <laughs> the ice? I've been on the road with this guy, and I can second what he's saying. If you ever need leverage on Kurt, you know what to do. There's yeah, ice cream would be definitely on that list, or or a good steak, or even prime rib would be on that list, too. Yeah, yeah, I could go I could go for some prime rib. Well, I'll tell you this. I allow myself when it comes to eating, I allow myself one screw up per day. Now, many of you are thinking, what does that mean? Well, that depends on the time of day that I screw up. Okay. <laughs> I've noticed that if I decide, okay, Steve, you can mess up at lunch or in the afternoon sometime. Maybe I'll have like a half of a cookie or something sweet that just kind of satisfies that craving and allows me to just screw up a little bit. And I found that the battery kind of recharges from then and I'm stronger in the evening. But if I don't allow myself the screw up and it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm done working and I don't want to go to bed, I want nachos. I want a <laughs> whole pizza. <laughs> so the screw up is just horrible if it happens at night. And I think that's what you're saying. I have so much less battery left over that, wow, if I'm going to fall on my face, I really do it with style. <laughs> That's a big part of it, too. And part of it, too, is if you start focusing on a food and focusing on a food, say, no, I can't, no, I can't, no, I can't. You, you want it more. And you want it more and you want it more and you want it more. And eventually you're going to fail. So I think it's a function of the visualization and wanting it and, and wait until your battery is way low to where you have no way to resist that midnight nacho buffet. Yeah, yeah. I guess the only challenge there is, for me, free day turns into free weekend. <laughs> free weekend, and of course, calories don't count when you're on the road or you're on vacation. So you I, th could... <laughs> I think we've established that, yeah. <laughs> we, we sure talk about food a lot on these podcasts. Yeah, we should get off probably that do this. Yeah, we need to probably do this when our stomachs are a little more full. I guess so. Maybe we should just do a food podcast and lean into this. You know what I'm saying? Better yet, we should be eating ice cream while we're podcasting, and then we could have flavor of the show. <laughs> that yeah. would solve everything. Forget the blunder. We'll have the, and, the flavor and, and of the week. We'll have the ice cream. They'll sponsor the show, and they'll say, our sponsor's Ben and Jerry, and the flavor of the week is Cherry Garcia. Yeah, Ben and Jerry would have to send you all the ice cream you want because you're yeah. just a huge 
sponsor, a huge, huge promoter of their ice cream. There you go. They would just have free ice cream for life. Man, I'd be a blimp. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of quantities of ice cream, uh, there's a, a study to talk about here briefly. One of the places that we go to for a lot of information, Harvard Business Review. We like the research. In fact, both you and I have been out to the Harvard program on negotiation before and been trained by those guys. They've got some good research out there. And the article, it was posted a couple of days ago on October 25th, and it talks about when it is wise to offer volume discounts on your product. So I think the conventional wisdom is here is that the more you buy, the more you save, right? Isn't that pretty much what everybody does? And Isn't that the, the theory of Costco? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was there today, and they got me. Wow, well, they got me good. Yeah. So, in fact, on Costco, a guy I worked with the other day had a great quote. He said, man, Costco sure is an expensive place to save money. <laughs> it is. What are we going to do with 25 pounds of gummy worms? But you saved 10 bucks. Yeah, I, I guess you did, but you don't need the gummy worms. It's it's purely pure logic out the window. No, I was here the other day, and I saw this thing in Nutella, you know, that, that chocolate spread from Europe. It yeah. was huge. It must have been a gallon or two gallons of pure chocolate butter i guess we could call it. i just like who buys that i mean i can't even imagine eating that in a year but they've got the quantity that's one thing they've got that's their niche i guess so the military must buy from costco that's military grade nutella right there <laughs> yeah it'd be a full platoon with that stuff or like use it to line the the outside of the humvee for more armor stuff something that stuff is thick oh yeah Gross. kill you in a second <laughs> well this guy tells a story about going to his local butcher to buy some ribs because he was having a barbecue and having a bunch of his friends over. And so, of course, he buys a ton of these things. And he asks the butcher for a quantity discount when he's checking out. So he automatically lowers the price from $8 to $6 a pound. And this guy, being the Harvard researcher that he is, starts really thinking about that and what this did to this guy's bottom line by so quickly being willing to reduce the price based on a quantity purchase. A big, long article for a not so, <laughs> well, I, I, it's a kind of an obvious point of only give the quantity discount if you have to. Because his point was he was buying the ribs, whether they were at $8 or $6, no matter what. So the takeaway for the listeners here of the podcast is, are you offering quantity discounts and do you really have to? I think if you've got a lot of customers that are used to getting them from you, it would be <laughs> tough to backtrack and say, I'm not doing that anymore. It might be worth testing. It might be worth charging the same, seeing if customers are asking for uh, discounts and if it's a deal breaker or not. I don't know, Kurt, what do you think? Well, obviously you don't want to offer quantity discounts if it's going to break the bank. And he was ready to pay X amount of dollars for that. But does that increase his loyalty? Is he going to come back and want that discount in the future? I think part of it, too, we have to be careful is a lot of people use this as, as we talked about negotiation, those dirty deeds to where say, well, you know, what if I bought a quantity of a thousand instead of a hundred? You know, what would that be? And well, our quantity discount is so and so. Well, I well, I don't want a thousand, want a hundred, but I want it at that price. So we have to be careful on how they're asking. And if you say, well, are you going to purchase a thousand? Are you ready to do that today and find out exactly what their wants and needs are? But that's something as far as a persuader is concerned, you need to know ahead of time. Before you go into negotiation, before you do something 
if you can offer it, what your bottom line is, what you can take it to instead of doing it right on the spot. Yeah, and I think the small business owner is more susceptible to doing it on the spot. And I think that's because it's so easy to get hypnotized by the revenue. A quantity order brings in what seems to be a large amount of revenue uh, for one time. But if you actually sat down, did the math, punched everything out, you would see that, wow, that's not a very profitable deal for me. And I've fallen for that before, too, where revenue can mask so many problems in your business. You think everything's just, just peachy, but you're not running it like a business. Anyway, this isn't a uh, accounting or inventory management podcast, but I know we're all negotiating on price and, and persuading people all the time. So probably something worth testing, according to the Harvard Business Review. Do you really need to give the volume discount? And if you fail miserably trying this, send us your hate mail at maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. Address to Kurt, of course. <laughs> there you go. Well, one last thing on that, too. If like this rib, for example, if the ribs are in the bag and you they're there at the cash register ready to pay, they say, hey, can I have a quantity discount? That's probably a time where you don't need to give one. Now, if it's before and you're they're talking about it, they're trying to get some ideas, they're trying to see what to do, getting their options, that might be a better time to kind of fish and give the quantity discount versus they're already ready to roll. They made the decision. They're just fishing at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. They're already committed. You know they're done. They're just looking for that last-minute little deal, but it's not a deal-breaker to not give it. Good point. Well, good. We are going to talk about a very overused law of persuasion today. We've touched on it briefly before, but this is the law of scarcity. Kurt, you want to give us a Reader's Digest version, a really quick summary on what is the law of scarcity? Why should the listeners care? The term for psychologists is psychological reactance, but basically when you restrict the availability of your product, it could be a service, availability of your time or information or even yourself, that people want it more. Because when you set limitation, it actually piques your audience interest and they get more excited about it and actually has more value to it. But then on the flip side, as you mentioned, it's been used and abused. I mean, really, how often can a furniture store go out of business? <laughs> yeah, they go out of business really? a lot. Yeah, they do because there's that urgency. And, and on one hand, we're like, well, we don't need to do that. But if you don't give somebody a deadline, if you don't give them the reason to do it right now, you'll never hear from them again. That's why when you see the Home Shopping Network, there's a countdown clock and there's a quantity reduction as far as how many are left. And they say this is the last time or not available in stores. That creates that urgency that people want it more. And your goal, of course, is to get them to make a decision. Yeah. So... What are some of the red flags? Because we all have had that queasy experience where somebody is using this on us and we know it's just posturing, it's a bunch of nonsense, and it's not real. But we all know, too, that when it's genuine, it's extremely effective. I think we brought up the point on one of the previous podcasts that airlines can use, well, legitimate scarcity because there's only so many seats on an airplane. It's not like when they tell you, hey, we have three seats left, that that's a bunch of hooey. So... Even though we may not be an airline, even though there may be plenty of our product, how do we use this legitimately or conversely to kind of an open-ended question to you? How do we avoid these pitfalls to not come across so greasy <laughs> and used car salesy? It depends on the industry, too. For example, if you're at a cell phone store and like, oh, sell today, and you're like, yeah, right, or last you less than in your size, 
I remember going to buy a car, like, hey, someone's coming tonight to look at this car. I'm like, I'll just pick it up tomorrow. And I came back, and it was gone. So we've all had enough experiences where we've been maybe burned by this, but then we've also heard sale ends today. And you're like, well, I come back tomorrow. Like, well, we'll give it to you then too. So when you're using scarcity or urgency, it needs to be legitimate. It needs to be believable. Just like Disney DVDs, they say, last time this century, last time this decade, it's going back in the Disney vault. Now, I don't know if there's a Disney vault. I doubt there is, but we know they're going to take them away. We know on eBay, when we get that outbid note, if someone's taking something away from us, that is, it's taken away, and that's legitimate, and it's believable, and a lot of times you have to explain why. You just can't pull it out of the air. You can't be like one of those websites that has a five-minute countdown clock to make a decision, and you refresh it, it goes back to five minutes, (laughs) right? We've all seen that, so it's been abused and overused, but it's also a very powerful thing. I remember being on a cruise with my wife, and we're talking to the couple at the table. It says, we're going to stop the next day at an island in the Caribbean called Grenada. And it was the only place on earth you can get nutmeg syrup. We're like, what? Only place? Nutmeg syrup? Only place on earth? We got off the boat, and we got a couple of things of nutmeg syrup, and guess what rotted in our cupboard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nutmeg syrup, and that's just part of it. It's part of our conditioning as children. You put children in a room with 20 toys and say, can't play with that one. Here's 19. Can't play with that one. Here's the other 19. And they approach the one they're not supposed to touch three times faster. I mean, we can talk about Black Friday coming up. Those aren't humans, but there's not enough to go around. Or when Xbox comes out or Apple, that, that urgency, that scarcity – Throws them off their rock or whatever you want to say. Even when I go to the store to, to buy, here it is, ice cream again. And, and I come home, my wife's like, oh, why'd you buy four? You bought four. I'm all, limit four. <laughs> right? Limit four, that's another form of scarcity and urgency. So the key factors, legitimate, believable, let them know why there's scarcity, why there's a deadline, why there's a limit. And that makes a huge difference. Because if you say, oh, just get back to me whenever you can. Whenever you get around to it, just think about it. We all know in the world of persuasion influence, it ain't happening. Yeah, Costco does that too. While we were talking about Costco, a lot of those products that they place in the center of the store, you know that they're going to be gone soon. They're seasonal and they only keep them there for a certain period of time. And the schedule as to when those products are going to go away must be in the Disney vault with all the DVDs, right? Because nobody knows ever how long that's going to be there. They've, they've trained you so well. I know when it's beginning, like springtime, they bring in life preservers for boating. And I've learned from real fast that when they're gone, they're gone. They're not going to order anymore. They don't care. They're gone. And if you don't get them, you're not going to get them. And so people just like <clears throat> go nuts and they're gone within a week or two. And like you said, they don't care. They've committed to that model of circulating the inventory through and they know people are going to complain. They know that, hey, all oh, people are going to be grumpy that the life preservers are gone or, or whatever is gone. But they're in this for the long haul because they know that next year when that stuff comes out, guess who's going to be first in line? <laughs> Everybody who missed out. I learned that as an entrepreneur a while ago about you know, when you're a small business and you're trying to grow your business, I think people who are in that boat have kind of been in a phase where I don't want to say they're desperate, but they're willing to do anything to get somebody's business. And when you're willing to do anything to get somebody's business, you have to do almost anything to get somebody's business. <laughs> because it's this it's this mental attitude you have, and I found that it projects out there to people, and they can feel it. They know, hey, this guy needs my business. I'm going to take him for a ride. And a mentor of mine a while back told me, look, Steve, to have a happy, healthy life, there's things you got to do every day of your life. You've got to take time to learn and grow. You've got to exercise. 
you got to spend time with your family. Book that stuff in the calendar. And when people are scheduling appointments with you and they want to schedule during that time, don't do it. Say you're not available. And no, you might burn one or two sales on the front end, but you create a culture of allure with your business. That Steve is busy and successful. He doesn't have to take all the appointments. He doesn't necessarily need you, even though, hey, guess what he does, right? And that just creates that mentality, kind of like what some of these massively successful companies do, like Costco or like Apple. There's no doubt who's in charge there. And the customers are willing to just buy whatever these guys put out because of that culture of allure that they've created in the business. And I think that you talk about that uh, in your book, Maximum Influence, on the chapter of the, the Law of Scarcity, how allure is one of the components to create legitimate scarcity, is it not? It is that allure to train people, like you said, how to treat you. Some companies, they start going through now, and this is a new trend where they go to their bottom clients and say, look, we're firing you as a customer. You're too much of a pain in the butt. And of course, they'll probably verbally package that better. We can't service you. And they're like, no, we'll be better. We'll buy more. Please don't. Okay, they've taken it away. They want it more. And even things like this, a bank needs to loan money. But when you go to a bank for the loan, who's persuading who? <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. Right? You go to apply for a college. You have to pay to apply to a college, and they need your money, and then you have to pay them more money to be there. They switched it around. I was talking to a human resource director, and they offer free training to all their employees, and they weren't taking advantage of it. They just added one thing, limit two trainings per year. You only get two. You can only have two. It dramatically increased training. So creating that allure, training people how to treat you. I mean, if you say, oh, uh, can we meet next week? Oh, my week's wide open. I have no appointments. Obviously, there's no allure there. You have to at least have the perception. I don't know. Let's see where we can fit you in. I've got these other appointments. So you're not coming across as that type of person that will take any business at any time with anybody. And that's part of urgency and scarcity. I don't know if I should admit to this, but I'm going to do it. So <laughs> All right, here it comes. What is it? Here we go. Whenever somebody asks for an appointment with me, I never give them the exact time that they ask for first. I just have made that a rule. Call me an idiot, call me stubborn, but wow, has it done wonders for creating a culture of allure with my business. Now I, I might give them fifteen minutes later, but I need to create that allure. And it, it works very well for me. I think this drives some people crazy, but it, it's what I do, and it works very well. And that does that is that same allure that you see at a dance club. There's that line outside, that scarcity, that wanting to get in. People want it more. That intrigue, that allure. There's not enough to go around. they got to get theirs now. Whether you're selling a home, don't have people show up at one, two, and three. Have them show up all at one time. It's a completely different scenario. And that is what you're looking for with, again, it's called psychological reactants. I think it's that way in the dating world, too, which, thank heavens, I am not a part of. <laughs> but especially the alpha males, too, when a woman is playing hard to get or when she's aloof slightly. I mean, that just drives some people crazy. They've got to get her to say yes. They've got to get her to go out with them. They can't resist. <laughs> Yeah, and if that man sees that lady with someone else, all of a sudden she's more desirable and they want her more. <laughs> That's right. The key factors this is with whether it's a deadline for your, your company, limited space, potential loss, restricting freedom like country clubs. Make sure you have that allure, that it's real, it's legitimate, it's sincere, it's believable. 
And the last thing I want to add with that is make sure that you buffer it with some type of reward. Scarcity works a lot better with the reward, meaning, hey, the sale does end today, but when you do order the cell phone, you get an extra thousand minutes a month or an extra year in your warranty. Well, you know, the, we can only offer this for another week, but if you can buy this home within a week, we will include all the cabinets in the garage, the play set in the back. So part of this too is creating that urgency, that scarcity, that takeaway, but then when they do make that decision, they also get this reward. Yeah. Well, that's all. Those are all very good points. And everybody, like Kurt said, the key here is get that allure, get the limited space, get the deadlines, and back end it with a reward. How can you implement that more in your business? It may be something just as simple as what I do is when people ask me for appointments, I never take what they first request. And you've got to commit to this. You've got to create that culture of allure, that culture of ethical scarcity, as we say. And so even though you you might be able to take that appointment, or even though you might be able to do it at that price, take the long view here so that you create a business and, and a clientele that doesn't drive you crazy, that you're controlling because you've set the rules up psychologically ahead of time. And if you're only going to take five people, you only take five people. Stick to your guns. It'll work much better for you in the long run. Absolutely. Don't, don't, don't. So, Kurt, we're just about to sign off, but our old friend Homer has just risen his ugly head. We have another persuasion blunder, a, an absolute persuasion autopsy that we have to do here. Tell me about it. <laughs> Well, we always got away without having homework. There was a sound again, your triple dope. Anyway, the blunder of the week, and I don't know if we need to name names, is I do some secret shopping, and this was done at a, I will still say, at a Cadillac dealership. And I deceive people or how persuasive they are. And, of course, when you go up to a, someone and say, what do I got to do to get you in a car today? It's not a good thing when you're an influence expert and you're writing that down. Okay, lame intro. Oh, I hate that. But the blunder here is the vomit of the features versus really getting the benefits. And every persuader's heard, oh, you sell the benefits, not the features. Everyone's heard that, but nobody does that. Because when they do say a feature, sometimes the prospect assigns a benefit to it, and it works. If I say it's 450 horsepower, some people have no idea what that means, and some people are like, oh, they can assign a benefit to it. So that's, I get there, they're like, well, what kind of car are you looking for? I'm like, I don't know. And let's go look at the Escalade. So they grab a little key fob and they walk up there and they start the car from 100 feet away. I'm like, I can turn the key. He's just saying, oh, just show me the feature. And of course, the benefit would be probably during the winter or the summertime, and these things have heated and air conditioned seats. He hits another thing on the key fob, and the back tailgate goes up. I'm like, well, I can lift it. It's not that heavy. There was no benefit there. He was just vomiting the features. And, of course, the feature would be with your handful of groceries or uh, needing to have it opened when your hands are full. Then he, we sit in the seat, and he talks about the satellite radio with the hundreds of stations. Now, you probably know I'm a personal development junkie. I will never listen. I will never care. It doesn't matter what he data dumps. That was actually a negative thing. Then he says... It uh, has heated seats. Now, I never want a heated seat, but the benefit could be maybe my wife needed a heated seat. But all he needed to say, say, look, in, in the summertime, heated seats are a great practical joke. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. <laughs> they see the person squirm next. Yeah, I'm like, oh, done. But he was just vomiting and vomiting. He talked about, well, yeah, there's a camera, so you don't have to look over your shoulder. Even when I do have a camera in the car, I still look over my shoulder. But he didn't talk about maybe the safety of children could have been a benefit. Or all I had to do was ask the right questions. You could back up to a trailer or to a boat without anybody helping you. 
And he just went on and on, vomiting all these features. And they were all nice features, but you, again, there was no benefit there for me. And he has to make sure by asking the right questions what the benefits. All he had to do is say, well, why are you looking for an Escalade? And, you know, I'm more of a boat guy than a car guy. I say, I want something to pull a boat. Has an engine strong enough to be able to do that? He says, well, you know, here's the Escalade. It has the strongest engine in the class. You will not feel the boat. And it has a camera to where you can back up to your boat without anybody helping you. Sold. Sold, done, where's the paper? Everything else is just a benefit. Because if you look at an escape, there's over 100 switches and buttons in these things. Yeah. And if you went spent the time going, this does this, this does this, I probably would have found three or four things not to do it. Like the satellite radio. I will never use that. Why do they keep going on and on about it? They're just vomiting all these features. Hopefully, I will sign a benefit to it versus saying, what are the top three things you're looking for in an escalator? What's the most important thing about why are you looking for that? Well, here you go. Everything else is just a bonus. Yeah. But they won that, not only the blunder of the day, but the vomiter of the day to where it was just way out there. And they said things to where the point where I didn't even want the car anymore because they kept vomiting and vomiting and vomiting. There goes the, uh, the Cadillac guy. I found that getting the features and the benefits out there is like quick-dry persuasion cement. So obviously it matters when you use it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you come and you say, hey, tell me about the Escalade. Bam, bam, bam. You're not, you're not really sold. They vomit a bunch of features and benefits on you. We have quick, dry persuasion cement, and you are still not sold. My wife and I got a car recently, and I think I talked about it on the podcast. But we originally thought we wanted a Chevy Tahoe. And we went to the dealer. We said, hey, what do you got in the way of Chevy Tahoes? He goes, oh, come this way. Let me show you. He was good. Maybe we could make him a ninja. But we're walking out there, and on the way, he says, so what what makes you want a Chevy Tahoe? And by the time we tell him, he has, we just glance by the Chevy Tahoes, and we end up at a completely different vehicle. And he goes, the reason I brought you over here first is because you said X, Y, and Z, and check this out. And he tells us, and he shows us, and he has us going through the vehicle, and we're just immediately loving this thing. So much more than the Tahoe that we went originally to see. And then he could see that emotionally we had committed to this thing. And so now it's time to bring in the quick dry cement, right? Now, when you talk about those features and benefits, it's just more reasons on top. And you just think, I am completely sold. I got to have this car. I wish they could all do it that way. Maybe they would get some repeat buyers, but very few of them ever do. Yeah, there's no repeat buyers there. And that's the key thing is knowing when to strike, knowing when to talk about the features versus the benefits and something that might help our listeners is when you look at list the features of your product or service sometimes you could have a feature side and a benefit side and just in between right which means so the feature the powerful engine what does that mean what does that mean what does that mean to help you really dig into that benefit it makes a huge difference in your ability to persuade yeah very true thanks for that uh, that blunder very educational we appreciate it anything else you want to add before we shut her down Master scarcity. You want people to make decisions. You don't want people to say, I'll be back. I'll think about it. Do it later. Talk to a spouse. You need to crank up the scarcity to make sure it's, again, it's legitimate. It's believable. It's sincere. And you buffer it with some type of reward. You'll be amazed how many more yeses you get. That's right. I tell my clients that you can't hunt fish. You don't jump in the lake chasing the fish around. You're never going to win. That's why we have fishing lures. We use flies. We get the fish interested. Maybe, hey, a lure, right? (laughs) There we go. So 
that's what we want to do. Like Kurt says, master scarcity. Send us your questions at maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. We're happy to give tips and answer your questions on the air. And I think next week we'll even uh, get to a few of these things. We tell everybody every week, send your stuff in and then we never comment about it. So uh, time to practice what we preach there. Everybody, thanks for listening. We look forward to uh, doing another show for you next week, and we will talk with you then. Take care.